Well, good morning, Saints. Great to have y'all back here in our worship space, and also everyone that is watching watching it on Facebook Live. Thank you for uh, joining us for uh, corporate worship. Now, this may be the shortest service that we've ever had because we're not doing any singing. Let me move this microphone here. So. I'm going to bless, please join me in a word of prayer as I ask the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of God's word. Please join me. Holy Spirit, we come to you and ask that you will bless the preaching of the word, uh, that you will take what is said uh, and apply it to my heart and apply it to the hearts of everyone that's here and everyone that is watching on Facebook Live. You know what everyone needs to hear. You know where we are spiritually. You know the things that we're dealing with. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will move and you will minister. And also, Lord Father, I pray unto the sufferings of our world, the issues that we are dealing with within our country. Lord, things are not well. And we need you to move. We need you to heal. We need you to bring justice. And I pray that you will help our unbelief and that you will show yourself beautiful, that you will show that you are God, that you are Yahweh Elohim, and that you are not silent, that you are not taking a break, but you are doing what you have always been doing. You are governing your creation, even though it is broken, even though it is stained by sin. You are still moving. And so I praise you, I thank you, and I pray for all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Life was golden for a 19-year-old George Matheson. He was a brilliant college student, graduating with honors from, from college. He was engaged to be married. His future was bright and promising. But then at the age of 20, his, his life turned upside down. He started going blind without any hope for medical healing. No medical breakthrough was coming for him. And I think we should please take a moment to, to let those words uh, sink into your hearts and minds. That total blindness 
was coming for him. And when he told his fiance about his condition, she left him. She abandoned him. She called off the engagement. And she said she couldn't go through life with a blind man. Can y'all feel what he felt? Can y'all empathize with his suffering? But now there was a glimmer of hope in the midst of George's blindness and suffering and loss. His sister offered to be his caregiver. And with her help, he, he was able to, able to finish his studies for pastoral ministry. He entered the ministry. And, and for 20 years, she served as his caregiver to her blind brother. She loved her brother well. And he knew that. She was his glimmer of hope for 20 years. However, George's sister wouldn't be his primary caregiver forever. She eventually found love herself, got engaged, which meant once again, George faced the reality of living life alone. The one person who cared for him was finally moving on with her life. Again, can y'all feel what he felt? Can y'all empathize with his suffering? One blogger writes that the evening before his sister's wedding, George's whole family had, had, had left to get ready for the next day's celebration. And he was alone, facing the prospects of living the rest of his life without the one person who came through for him. And on top of this, he was doubtlessly reflecting on his own aborted wedding 20 years earlier. It's not hard to imagine the, the, the fresh waves of, of grief that was rushing over him that night. Again, can y'all relate? Can you empathize? George Matheson said alone in his blindness and sadness with resurfacing memories of, his, uh, of the woman who rejected him, he, 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 he felt joy and pain at his sister's wedding. Joy for her, but pain for himself. And in that moment, under those hard circumstances, the Spirit moved him to write a hymn. A hymn that says, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thy ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O light that followeth all my ways, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed rays, that in thy sunshine blaze its day may brighter, fairer be. O joy that seeketh me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I chase the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. Though mourn shall tearless be. 
O cross that lifts us up uh, my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red. Life shall endless be. A love that won't let us go is the name of the, this four-week sermon series. It's a kind of love that's based on Jesus Christ, based on who he is. Can y'all hear me well? I don't feel like I'm not coming through. Oh, they hear me well online? Okay. Who is Jesus? Great question, Pastor Alex. The answer is of utmost importance. The answer makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in your life. You see, we're too quick to jump to the works of Christ, the actions of Christ, the, the blessings of Jesus, and even the love of Jesus. We, we jump without highlighting the fact that everything he does is directly tied to who he is. Okay, y'all, I should have y'all trained by now. But you've been listening online. So who Jesus is makes what he does powerful and effective. Who he is shapes the way he loves y'all. Because if he's not who he says he is, then him telling you he loves you means nothing. If he's not who he says he is, him saying he loves you means absolutely nothing. Because of who Jesus is, he loves with a love that will not let us go. A love that follows all of our ways. A love that seeks us through pain. A love um, that, that lifts up our head. A love that shepherds us through the valley of the shadow of death. A love that comforts us in our sufferings and our heartaches and our doubts. A love that doesn't minimize our grief. A love that doesn't rush us out of our lament. A love that values our spiritual life as well as our physical life. A love that cares about our souls and also cares about our bodies. A love that advocates for us. A love that understands what it's like to be human. A love that even understands what it's like to be a minority. That's Jesus. That's the kind of love that, that would not let y'all go. And it's based totally on Jesus Christ, totally on who he is. Again, who is he? Who is he? Saints, we can spend a lot of time and energy telling people who we think Jesus is. We can spend a lot of time creating a Jesus out of our own imagination. A false Jesus who fits perfectly in our way of life. A false Jesus who fits perfectly into our culture and our politics and our nationality and our worldview. How about we let Jesus speak for himself? How about we let him answer the question, who is Jesus? Let him answer the question, who does Jesus see when he looks in the mirror? You ever thought about that? When Jesus looks in the mirror... Who does he see in the reflection? Does he see just a Jewish carpenter? Just another Jewish rabbi? Just another miracle worker? 
just some working class citizen? This morning, Jesus is going to tell us, he's going to tell y'all about the man in the mirror. He's going to tell y'all who he sees in, in the reflection. And he has one request. Listen to understand. Don't listen to respond to. Listen for understanding. Listen for understanding. Jesus tells us about the man in the mirror during a Passover meal with his disciples. And on the first day of the Passover, Jesus sends Peter and John to make preparations for the meal. He says to them, go, prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they, and they, and they reply to Jesus, where shall we go? Where will you have us to prepare it, to prepare the meal, Jesus? He says, behold, when you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into a house that he enters. Tells the master and tell the master of the house, the teacher says, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room already furnished. Prepare the meal there. Peter and John do what Jesus has asked of them. They go into the city. They meet this man carrying a jar of water. He takes them to a house, and, and they meet the master of this house, and, and he leads them to a large room up the stairs, which is an upper room. And, and in this upper room, they prepare the Passover meal. And later that night, Jesus arrives with his disciples back to this house. They head up to the stairs. And they recline at the table. And, the, and this is what he says to his disciples. With great desire have I desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Can you sense the deep affection that Jesus has for his disciples? Even Judas, who is reclining at the table too. Can you hear the love in his voice? With great desire. With strong desire. Have I desired to eat this Passover meal with y'all before I suffer? Why, Jesus? Why do you have this great desire? It's his last supper with them on earth. The last meal they're ever going to share together was this meal. It's a goodbye meal. They don't really know it yet, but Jesus knows. He knows what he knows what is getting ready to happen because he knows who he is. He knows what's coming. He knows. Saints, Jesus enters the upper room fully knowing the truth about the man in the mirror. The truth about who he is. There's no confusion. There's no denial. That he doesn't have to take a personal retreat or holiday to find himself. He doesn't have an identity crisis. Jesus is fully comfortable in his own skin with perfect self-awareness and self-knowledge. He fully knows the truth about the man in the mirror and the facts about what he has to do. He's going to suffer. He's going to suffer. Think about that, this. Living your life knowing that one day you're going you're gonna to die on the cross. 
Jesus always knew that. It wasn't revealed to him when he became 13. He already knew why he was born, and it was to die. He knows, he knew what was always coming, and yet he pressed forward. He pressed forward. Who is this man in the mirror? When Jesus looks in, when Jesus looks in the mirror, he sees a son. That's an amen statement. He sees a son. He sees a son in the reflection. What about y'all, Christian? Who do y'all see when you look in the mirror each day, if you have a mirror in your home? Do you see a son? Do you see a daughter? Do you see an orphan? Who do you see? Do you see a human being? Do you see a person created in the image of God? Who do y'all see? Now, if you can't see or if you have lost your eyesight, please know that there's still a reflection of you in that mirror. You're somebody still. You're an image bearer of God. You're an image bearer of God still. When Jesus looks in the mirror, he sees a human son with a human mother and a stepdad. That's right. Joseph is his stepdad. He also sees a human son who is culturally and ethnically Jewish. Jesus is Jewish, okay? So don't gloss over his, his cultural and, and ethnic identity. That, that, that's important to highlight, again, because we have a tendency to create a Jesus in our own image. In the image of our culture, our ethnicity, our nationality, and our political affiliation. If you think Jesus all, will always vote Republican or Democrat, then you don't know Jesus at all. You don't know him at all. That's the Jesus you created. Don't refine Jesus. Don't redefine him. Don't create him out of your own imagination. He's not a lump of Play-Doh. And that's how we treat him. Let me get out my Play-Doh Jesus, and I'm going to form him into my image. And that's what we do. We create our own. And you know, you know what the Bible calls that? Idolatry. idolatry let jesus speak for himself he knows who he is he doesn't need you to define him he doesn't second when he looks in the mirror he also sees uh he also sees a a divine otherworldly son with a heavenly father who is fully pleased with him Look at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus already knew that his hour to depart out of the world to the Father has come. And look at verse 3. He says, Jesus knows that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. These are things that he knows about himself. He sees the Son of God in the mirror. And he doesn't need humanity to validate that is who he is regardless of if they ever believe it he sees what john 1 1 and john 1 14 says about him in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as the only son from the father 
full of grace and truth. That is Jesus. Is that the Jesus you see? Or do you have a Jesus made of Play-Doh? Jesus knows that the man in the mirror is both fully human and fully divine. Both God and man. Jesus is the God-man, which makes him a minority amongst human beings. So he knows what it feels like not to be in the majority. He can relate. He knows. Third, when Jesus looks in the mirror, he sees the Christ, the Messiah. He sees Savior. He sees Redeemer in the reflection. He sees the suffering servant. Is that who you see? Jesus knows who he is. He knows what he has to do. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus knows the hour for him to depart out of the world to the Father has come. The hour is here. The hour is finally here. The phrase his hour is is used regularly in the Gospel of John. In John 2.4, in John 7.30, in John 8.20. Those passages says. Jesus' time has not yet come. But now in John 12, 23, and here in John 13, in the Last Supper, the hour has finally arrived. Before the Passover feast, when Jesus knew that his hour to depart out of the world had come, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The hour is the climax of his three-year ministry. It's the fulfillment of of the work the Father gave him to finish. And Jesus clearly knows what's necessary to finish the work. He knows what is expected of him. He knows that he has to suffer. He has to die. He has to die. That's what he knows. That's what he knows. And Jesus doesn't need any help or assistance to fulfill what the Father gave him to do. Even though he shared his Passover meal with his disciples, he will not share the hour with them. That's an amen statement unless you think you got a down the cross with him. Now does he share it with y'all. It's Jesus' hour. Only he can fulfill it. None. We can't fulfill it. He can't fulfill it. Your good works can't fulfill it. Your goodness can't fulfill it. Nothing else can fulfill it. The country we live in can't fulfill it. Jesus fulfills it. It's his hour. In John twelve twenty seven, Jesus says to the disciples, Now is my soul troubled? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. For this purpose, I have come for this hour. Father, glorify your name. The hour glorifies the Father. Think about that. The Father's glorified in the death of his only son. I don't understand that. The hour is Jesus' death and his resurrection from the grave. 
is his humiliation and his glorification. The hour is where he takes your place on the cross as fulfillment of your sins against a holy God and your sins against other people. That's what the hour represents. The hour is where the father pours out all of his wrath on Jesus for your sins. Because at the end of the day, he's either going to pour it out on Jesus or he's going to pour it out on you. Jesus gets what we deserve on the cross. That's what he gets. He gets what we deserve. He dies for unrighteous sins and self-righteous sins. His hour is where he makes a way for you to know a holy God as Father. His hour shows you a love that will not let you go. There's a gospel song that says, Jesus went to Calvary to save a ranch like you and me. That's love. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. He hung his head, and then he died. That's love. But that's not how the story ends. Three days later, he rose again. That's love. That's love. Saint Jesus' hour is where he defeats sin and death. It's where he rises from the grave, dusting the dirt off his shoulders. It's where he crushes the head of the serpent with his heel. The hour is where he says, now the ruler of this world is cast out. Jesus is inevitable. And he doesn't need six infinity stones to make that true. For all eternity is Jesus. And he knows it. That's who he sees in the mirror. Is that who you see? Is that who you see? In this mirror, Jesus also sees a son whose father has given, given all things into his hands. All things is in Jesus' hands. And you know what? If you want to deduct from that, you know what that means? It doesn't belong to you. All things means all things. Your time, your treasure, your possessions, all that's Jesus' stuff. Jesus enters the upper room with this knowledge. Look at verse 3 again. Jesus knows that the Father has given all things into his hands, and that he had came from God and was going back to God. This means all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All authority on earth and in heaven is given to Jesus by the Father. All of it. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven or on earth, invisible and visible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers and authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things. Well, what, 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 what else could that mean, Pastor Alex? That means... All of this creation, all the things that you see in the world, that's Jesus' stuff. Even the things that people created, that's Jesus' stuff. They created because the image bearers of a holy God. 
all things belong to him. And, bef- and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's the Jesus. That's who Jesus sees in the mirror. That's who he sees in the mirror. So that also means that if Jesus wants all things to be about him, so what do you think he's going to do when his people worship things other than him? Like we worship America. Eventually, he's going to crush the idol. And it's going to be very uncomfortable. So at a certain point, we got to know, is Jesus that is created in this country, is it the real Jesus or is it Plato Jesus? Which Jesus do we really see being preached in our country? Which one? Plato Jesus or the authentic Jesus that's here? I can tell you historically, it's been Plato Jesus. Because only someone believing in Plato Jesus would say, I can own slaves and Jesus would be okay with it. That's Plato Jesus. That's not authentic Jesus. So we may need to repent of the fact that we ain't worshiping the real Jesus. And guess what? That ain't the country's fault. That's our fault. That's on us. Because we're supposed to be the seed on the hill, right? We're supposed to be salt and light. But if we're giving people a false Jesus, that is heresy. And that is on us, not the dying ones. So the church in our country need to do some repenting. Now, I want, I want us to march. I want us to fight for justice. But we need to also repent for our family. on us the man in the mirror the man in the mirror is the fullness of God and the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him and through this man he reconciled all things to himself whether on heaven or on earth making peace by the blood of his cross that's the man in the mirror because, again, if Jesus is not who he claims to be, then me preaching on his love means nothing. It means nothing. It's just me giving you a bill of goods. Just me just pumping you up and giving you a rah-rah speech so you can go back out for one more week and come back in. I can motivate you again. So this stuff is either real or it's trash. Or a trash panda. Jesus knows what he has to do. He knows that all of his works and his actions and his deeds flow directly out of who he is. Jesus can handle his image and reputation, but can y'all? Because here's the thing. If Jesus never makes you uncomfortable, then you've got to play those Jesus. You need to know that. 
If he does not ever make you uncomfortable in the things that you do and how you function in our country, then you got to say, dude, is this Jesus I have is real Jesus or is it a Plato Jesus? Because if you're coming to the real Jesus, you're going to be uncomfortable. He's going to call you to do things that are uncomfortable. Can we handle him? Not without the spirit, we can't. We can't. Because if you don't understand who Jesus is, then you would never understand his love. You can't understand a love that won't let you go until you understand the Savior who created you. You got to truly understand who he is in order to embrace him. Jesus is the God-man. He's Emmanuel. He's God in the flesh. He's Redeemer. He's Lord. He's Savior. He's the Rock of Ages. He's the prophet, priest, and king. He's an advocate. He's the friend of sinners. That's who he is. No qualifiers, no shade of gray. It ain't Jesus and it is Jesus. And we cannot tiptoe and fully align ourselves as Christians with anything. I'm going to say something that's probably going to get me in trouble. But if you are a Christian who who says, I'm a Democrat, but you never vote Republican, then you may have a Plato Jesus. And if you're a Republican and you say, I would never vote for a Democrat, then you maybe have a Plato Jesus. Because I'm telling you that Jesus won't align with any of those parties fully. We got to understand, where does our allegiance lie at the end of the day? Because if you say, I want to, someone said, I want to be like Jesus, do you really? We say that all the time. Do you really want to be like Jesus? Because you know he died, right? You know he suffered, right? Because that's what you're saying. I'm willing to suffer. So don't pray that prayer if you ain't willing to suffer. Because other times you're just faking it. You're just flossing. So you need to know what you're asking for. Just be honest. Say, no, I don't want to be like Jesus. I'd rather have my Plato Jesus. If you're going to come to the Jesus of, of this word, my God's word, then you better be willing to suffer. Yes, march for justice. March for what we see. But I tell you, if Jesus was here, he would march, but he'd also say, I'm willing to suffer for it. I'm willing to sacrifice. Are we really willing to sacrifice? Some of us just need to be honest. No, we're not. We're not. We need to come and go and ask the Holy Spirit, will you please introduce me to the real Jesus? Probably for the first time. Because for so long I've been worshiping this Plato Jesus, a Jesus that I have created. And I want to place that Jesus down and I want to see the authentic Jesus. So here's what the authentic Jesus says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And to set and to he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is the authentic Jesus. Is that the Jesus you truly, truly worship? Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're not Plato, that you are authentic, that you would not allow us to mold you into our own image. The Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show me in my own heart where I have done that to Jesus. In my heart, in my life. And so I pray that you would take these words and, 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 and that you would reintroduce us to Jesus. But first, let us repent for the Jesus that we have created in our own imagination. And we all have done it. And we just need to own it. So, Holy Spirit, our hearts are open to you. I pray that you would do it for the glory of Christ and not for our glory, but for our benefit and our good. And I thank you, Jesus, that you do love us with a love that won't let us go. But it's always based upon who you are. Who you are. The authentic Jesus. And we pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen.